Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. On mum's birthday, I woke up to that article and it was just horrendous. I was beside myself and I've got an incredibly thick skin I don't let articles or trolls or anything affect me I really don't I'm I'm quite good at that but this was horrendous it was such an invasion of my privacy Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today on the show, we're joined by the one and only Georgia Love. You probably have all the background in the world on who Georgia Love is, but let us quickly recap. Georgia is a journalist, our former bachelorette, I say our like we own her, but we don't, and television personality who is sunny and kind and one of the warmest people we have ever met. In this episode, we talk about everything from grief to starring on reality TV and falling in love to what comes next. So here's Georgia. Georgia Love, welcome to Shameless. Hi. Kind of again. Yeah, well, yes again. Well, yeah, but we didn't do it properly last time, so we're super stoked to be actually doing it properly this time. Last time I was sitting in the foyer of a hotel in Sydney, (laughs) so I think I had one of those weeks where I had about 20 minutes spare and it was when I checked out of a hotel, so I had Lee over one side, like, guarding, warding people off so they couldn't interrupt and you guys were on the phone, so this is much more professional. Yeah, well, if anyone is wondering about this, you were the first person to support us. I think we're only four weeks into the podcast, we were very baby podcasters basically and we reached out to you we saw a tabloid story I'm sure some of the listeners would recall this but not many because we've grown a lot since then that we called basically reached out to you and said can we have a phone call and talk about this tabloid story and you sharing that was kind of the first show of support that we got from anyone in the industry so we've always felt this I can't believe we've never told you that either I didn't know I was the first so wait so actually I won the podcast (laughs) (laughs) oh my god thank you so much we have since told that story because for me it was like a really good indication of what happens if someone someone ever comes to us and asks for a favor now I often think of you and be like you absolutely did not have to give us your time you didn't owe us anything but the fact that you did was a huge a show of support and b vote of confidence it's only now dawning on me that we've been like admiring you to everyone else but you for a very long time <laughs> well it's a bit more uncomfortable to me I don't know how to react <laughs> you're sitting there Thank so you. awkwardly being like oh, but that's really lovely to say but 
I mean, why wouldn't I? You guys are, are great and you've always been lovely to me. So I'm always happy to support you. Well, that's very lovely. We should get into the show so we don't make you feel any more awkward than <laughs> you already <laughs> feel. Yeah, and um, talk about each other and ourselves for an hour. <laughs> what are you reading, watching, listening to at the moment that you would recommend to other women? I've got to recommend. So I've been, well, actually listening, reading in the same. I'm actually listening to an audio book, which I'm trying. I love podcasts, but yeah. audio books. I want to get into it. With. Yeah, so I'm trying. So I'm listening to the new um, Mark Mance. And one, mm-hmm. um, which she, I can swear, can't I? Oh, totally. totally. Yeah, okay. It's called Everything is Fucked. Um, so it's the same guy that wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which I loved. And now he's released this um, Everything is Fucked. And it's basically, it's like an anti guru kind of self, anti self help book rather than all these self help books, which caveat I do love as well that are, you know, you're special, you're amazing, everyone has an impact in this world. It's kind of saying the opposite. It's like, not everyone is that special. Not everyone's going to change the world, but that's actually okay. Like just kind of you live your life and things are fucked around you, but just do what you're doing and, and know what's going on inside your head, know how you're treating people and you'll have a good life. Mark Manson has a way of saying things in such a galvanizing way as well. When I read his blog, he is just so brilliant at illustrating his points and using anecdotes. Have you read much of him, Zara? Yeah, a little bit. And I find that kind of idea or these kinds of ideas far more empowering than being told that I'm special. Because I'm I like, think- okay, well, if I'm managing my expectations and I'm pretty average, why don't I just try to exceed them? I think that's what it is. And that's what the satellite of not giving a fuck was particularly about. Like there was literally a chapter called, I don't know the exact wording, but it was called You're Not Special or something like that. Because it was saying, you know, especially with you know younger kids these days, everyone's told, you know, there's no such thing as first, second and third place in school athletics competitions because everyone's special and everyone... No, someone won. Someone was faster than the other at running. Someone jumped further in long jump. You know, You'll be a great mum, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I'm going to be the harshest mum ever. I always you say this not to people. Special. You're not special. Someone else came first. Try harder. But it's actually a very good thing to be told. Sometimes you're not good at things. And that's completely fine. And that's fine. okay. But as long as no one's telling you, especially your mum, is it telling you you're not good at anything? Yeah. <laughs> like, I know I was not a good swimmer. I would not have got in a pool and expected to get an honourable mention medal. Like, no, I'm, I'm bad at it. Every time I get in a pool, there would be a lifesaver or lifeguard jump in because I literally look like I'm drowning. I was always in the bottom swim group. Oh, wow. I just hated swimming. I think it was from an early age I realised how long it would take me to do my hair after getting it wet. And I was just like, this is for me. Or if you forgot your undies and you had to wear your bathers under your school dress or something Oh, yeah, that's grim. Also, the smell of chlorine is no good. Oh, then that humidity in the room. Oh, my God, how bad was when you had to do the things we had to jump in in all your clothes and tread water for 15 minutes? (laughs) I still have nightmares about that. Like, no one's – you know what? From what I learned at school (laughs) – I'm drowning a lot less than I mm. expected to. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You think like, what was the lesson there? Like, what did I take from that? Maybe you're drowning much less than you thought because of that exercise. Yeah, maybe. But I'm also falling into water fully closed <laughs> a lot less than that taught me I was going to. <laughs> Thank goodness as well. Good things. Hey, speaking of childhood, what were you like as a kid? Oh, I was a full nerd. I was like, which I love. I'm not. I'm not making fun of that. I was a nerdling a child and actually pretty much the same as I am now, like really dorky into musicals and performing. Um, I think a good anecdote to sum me up as a child was in grade one, um, it was the first day back from school holidays and I had the, um, what's it called, show and tell for Mm -hmm. that week. So I'd been told before the holidays, 
because I was a pretty organised child, you'll remember your first week back, first Monday back, and I forgot. But rather than panicking as a six-year-old who's in front of the class with nothing to do, I was like, right, this is my moment, switched on, and I performed the monkey's daydream believer to the class. <laughs> oh, my God. And I think that sums me up better than any other anecdote ever could. <laughs> that is every nerdy child's worst nightmare, though. Like, I still remember there was an Italian class project that I forgot to do. And I still almost have these flashbacks to thinking, I'm such a nerd and yet I forgot about that. And the realisation that I stuffed up a school thing still yeah. affects me, even though I would have been like eight years old at well, the time. Well, you've got to have a monkey song back up, obviously, <laughs> every moment. In Italian. <laughs> I think you're overestimating our singing and performing skills. <laughs> Oh, I didn't say I had skills. I just said I like it. (laughs) But where did that come from? Because obviously from the outside, it does look like you are incredibly interested in performing and the arts and musicals. Was that something that was part of your family? Was that just you? Was that a confidence thing? What was it? Um, I think all of the above. It was certainly from my family. Mum and dad loved musicals. And I think, you know, back when I was little in the 80s and 90s, it was, you know, you'd go on family road trips and you'd have CDs on in the car and mum and dad would always have um, musical soundtracks like I knew the score to Phantom of the Opera probably before I knew the Wiggles I knew the story of Miss Saigon well before I knew what the the war was you know (laughs) Um, that's just kind of that was the music I grew up listening to and I loved it I used to run around the uh, the house singing to, to, to touch me from a Rocky Horror Show. It's like a, a slightly inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just loved it. We, we always went to shows and just something I would see, you know, the girls up there in their glittery costumes and getting to be over the top and, you know, getting applause. And I just thought, oh, that's so cool. I love that. From the outside, particularly when watching The Bachelor, it looked like you guys are such a tight-knit little group, your family. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, growing up, we certainly were. And um, oh, my whole life we have been. It's been trickier since mum passed away, which is coming on three years, which I cannot believe. But we've, my sister and I have become much closer since but the rest of the family has dissipated a little bit. Mum was very much the glue, which we knew while she was around, but it's become even more evident since she hasn't been. So tricky. And it happens all the time, I think, particularly when like a matriarch or the mayonnaise of the family mm. isn't there anymore, how much it does splinter. Yeah, hugely. And, and my dad, I love him very much, but he and I have never been super close like I've no such thing as a daddy's girl for me at all I was a big time mummy's girl and it kind of used to almost be a bit of a joke like if we were in the car by ourselves on the way to a family event everyone was like oh my god what are George and dad talking about like so weird they have nothing in common (laughs) (laughs) so since mum's not been there it's kind of just been more awkward and he's trying to you know cope with his grief very differently I think to my sister and I which has probably caused some issues in the family but that's grief, isn't it? it? Sucks. Everyone does it differently. How do you deal with it? Um, I just have really shitty days, and then I have good days. I don't really know if I am or how I am dealing with it. Mm. Um, the first six months, particularly, is actually a, a blur. So, for context, for those who don't know, Mum passed away uh, twenty four hours after my finale of The Bachelorette aired. So, I had just this extreme high to this unfathomable low within the space of a day and it was too much for my mind to cope with. So I quite honestly don't really remember any or much of the first six months. Then the first year was hard. Lee and I were in this brand new relationship that had 
all eyes on us. I was trying to navigate all of a sudden being in the public eye while navigating this this unbelievable grief that I wasn't expecting and didn't know how to deal with. And Lee and I struggled a lot. I, I'll say that quite openly. It was really hard for a lot of that first year. But I also know that I wouldn't have got through that without him. And that's what's made us so strong now. And I think circling back to the original question, having him has helped me a lot um, with the grief because it's just someone who you can bounce things off. You know, sometimes we'll sit on the couch and I'll tell stories about her and we'll laugh about it. And other times something will pop into my head and I'll burst out of tears, Mm. into tears out of nowhere. And having him around who's kind of seen that whole trajectory for me has been much easier to deal with Mm because I'm not sitting here by myself having to deal with it. I've kind of got him and my sister um, who are supporting that and kind of helping me, you know, Mm -hmm. say, yes, it's okay to feel shit some days and it's okay to feel good sometimes and, you know, have nice memories or Mm. whatever it may be on the day. Before we do move on to The Bachelor and everything, I guess we'll go the opposite way. Mm. Um, In that 24 hours when you came out and obviously it went from the highest high and it being announced and you two could finally be public with your relationship to then losing your mum, what did you think? Did you think, I want to hide away from the world? I don't want to show my face anywhere because this is happening. What was that like? Because the world wanted you more than ever and yet you had just gone through this completely cataclysmic life event. Yeah. Um, the very first day after, so after finale, that's always on a Thursday night and traditionally Friday morning you do, you're in Sydney and you do all the rounds of radio and everything in the morning, then fly down to Melbourne that night, do the project and then it kind of all settles from there but we stayed in Melbourne because mum was in palliative care so I did a couple of radio interviews the next morning just over the phone I didn't go in because I wanted to stay with mum and then I ended up cancelling the project that night because I just felt like I didn't want to leave and then that was the night that she passed away so I think that people understood that I was going to go into myself and my shell for a little while I actually think and This is the weird thing because that's how it happened for me. So I'll never know the alternative. But I almost think that the timing of that made it somewhat easier because everyone knew. It was the one time of my life where I was super hyper in the public eye. Everyone's watching me. Everyone wants to know what's happening. And I was able to say, hi, my mum just died. Can you leave me alone? And it's almost like if it had happened before that, you've got that long time afterwards of people ask you questions about your parents and you have to say, oh, my mum's not with us anymore. It was, it was almost a bit easier that everyone just knew in one go and I've not had to really deal with telling people or, you know, people knew to leave me alone because it happened in such a public time. Mm. I don't know, I, I kind of think it's almost like Stockholm Syndrome. No, I've been told it was a good time. but It's I, not a silly point at all because I think when you hit those times where it's the Bachelor finale, like you are the most famous face in the country at that point. Like I don't think that's an overstatement by any point. I am really interested in your point from before when you said that first year with Lee when you're navigating your grief and your relationship and time in the public eye that you struggled. What makes you pull through that? Because you absolutely don't have to. Like both of you don't have to pull through that and I think it's such a credit to what you clearly have now that you were able to. I think it's just that we we wanted to be together and 
you know, the, the sceptics can say what they want, but I think we were meant to be together. I think I was meant to meet him at that time because I needed him at that time and it was meant to be him. Because I can say, and I adore so many of the guys from my season of The Bachelorette, so many of them actually still really good friends. You're still friends with Cam, aren't you? Really, he's like one of our best friends. We've been <laughs> on holidays with him and everything, yeah. But then, you know, some of the other guys I still speak to every now and then. Lee speaks to quite a few of them. Um, and... You know, there were times during the show when I genuinely was considering, okay, could I have a relationship with this person or that? But I will say hand on heart, I absolutely know in hindsight Lee is the only person from that season who could have dealt with what happened with me and my family since and and did deal with it. And I think that, yeah, that that's why we pulled through is because we were meant to be together. We wanted to. Are you spiritual at all? Um, a little, but only recently. I wasn't at the time I lost my mum at all. I've kind of almost learnt more about it since. And not in the way of like, um, you know, oh, she's always with it. I, I, I do believe that. But I would say so many people who are very spiritual say, you know, your mum's always with you. She's always watching you. And I'm like, oh, I hope she's not always watching <laughs> There's some things she can turn a blind eye to, for sure. <laughs> I want her to always be there. <laughs> it is interesting, though. I think a lot of people, when they go through grief, I know my mum, when she lost her dad quite young, she was still in high school, she became very religious from thereafter and she really found a sense of spirituality. And I think lots of people in my life do. So do you think it's kind of related that you went through that grief and you found something deeper? Um, I think it's more, not even so much the grief, but just everything that's kind of happened with my mental health and my psyche since all of that. And again, as I said, I'll never know the alternative, but I don't know if it was just the grief. I don't know if it was just being thrust into the public eye, if it was just a brand new relationship or all three of those things together, because they all happened together. Mm -hmm. But that played a lot on my mental health. And I think that's probably the side of it that is more made me more spiritual and again when I say spiritual I don't even mean I'm not religious at all um you know I'm not like basking in the moon the full moon and and (laughs) putting your crystals seances and stuff (laughs) but I you know I I like things like meditation and yoga and essential oils and just little things that I kind of think I think they make me feel better even if they don't even if it's all bullshit if I can have like a little piece of rose quartz under my bed and somewhere in my head it's telling me that that's making me feel better, why not? It's almost like an enrichment of your life where you feel like it just adds a bit more fulfillment or just something special. Exactly. You know? And as I said, it might not be doing anything, but if I feel like it is or I think it might be, why not try? Why not put a crystal under your bed if it could help? Well, I think it's that fine line between spirituality and self-care. If it's making you stop and think for a second, then that can't be a bad thing when we very rarely stop and think at all these days. I think that's a good point. I think I'd say self-care is more what I do rather than spirituality. Coming up after the break, the Daily Mail story that nearly broke Georgia. But first, a word from our sponsors. I wanted to touch on that sort of very cataclysmic rise to the public eye because not just because of The Bachelor, and I think The Bachelor was certainly at its peak when you were on it, but also because of your mum and everything that went along. As a journalist, how weird was that to be someone who is very much behind the scenes, very much interested and invested in reporting on the world and then to suddenly become the story? 
I think that's probably what made it more bearable for me is that I kind of knew that, you know, going into all of a sudden you're thrust into these interviews, like multiple interviews a day, and they're all about your personal life. But I think from being a journal and interviewing people for myself for so many years, I kind of can read into interview questions. I know if they're trying to steer me one way, <laughs> I know what will sound better or, you know, not not saying that I would kind of fake any answers but I I think I was more in tune with not being caught out and I think Bachelor and Bachelorette is a really unique well actually not unique now it's all those reality shows almost all interviews around that time are trying to catch you out on something trying to get a sound bite that sounds like something it might not be exactly so I think I was just a bit more smart in knowing that they were trying to do that so not doing it so (laughs) it was super weird going from being the interviewer to the interviewee but I think it helped me understand how to navigate that all a bit better when it came to actually going on to the bachelorette and deciding to make that big career move how did you feel was there an anxiety that it could change the face of your career because it has but in I would say a really incredible way but was that an anxiety in yourself hugely and I think it's interesting you say making that big career move because I didn't see it as a career move I saw it as a I might be giving up my career here yeah um because it's a credibility thing for a journalist too right absolutely and I know that any reality tv is okay oh Padre's just (laughs) chair next to me that's my cat um she, oh, it's really cute. She can tell when I'm feeling a bit like we're talking about emotional stuff and she's come up next to me. Oh. Very cute. Um, yeah, so I knew that putting myself in that position, going on reality TV, was going to make a whole lot of people not take me seriously. And from any job or any career, that can be scary. But from being a journalist, I was like, you know, people may never take me seriously again. I might be giving up my career as it is completely but at that stage of my life my mum had just been diagnosed with cancer I had lived um, interstate and away from my family and my friends for five years at that point everything kind of fell into place and I thought well maybe this is what I'm meant to be doing and if I have to find a new path after that but if that path involves having uh, you know someone I love in it then I can do that that's the priority I'm deciding to make at that point And then I think I've just been very lucky since that, um, you know, I was taken a bit more seriously and it's definitely changed the way people act and react towards me is very different to before. But I also think I've been pretty lucky in the scheme of things. If you line up everyone who's ever been on reality TV, um, I like to think I'm not in the same category as the ones that aren't taken so seriously. I don't think that's a coincidence (laughs) though, right? (laughs) At all. I like to think, I I think going onto it as a journo and as as a career woman and I was the second bachelorette and I think there'd been four or five five bachelors before me and I was the first female. So that includes like all the girls who'd been on The Bachelor and then The Bachelorette before me whose number one thing was Georgia Love is a journalist and Bachelorette. Yeah. I, wrote, I wrote an opinion piece about Did that you? for my oh, mom. really? Yeah, I wrote an opinion piece saying that you were what we needed in a Bachelorette because you were a career woman and they never spoke about what women dig for careers on There we show. go. Well, thank Maybe it was your article I read that. Yeah. I realized <laughs> Do not that. give Michelle that credit. <laughs> I mean, I'll take the credit. I am interested though, as a career woman and as someone who 
obviously is like the ideal woman to date in Australia, which oh. is what the show recognises. Oh, you can't deny that though. That's why they picked no, you as the bachelorette so though. <laughs> Did you feel any pressure from a physical appearance standpoint? Because I can say in myself, even as the podcast has risen and we're being invited to events and there's lots of like models everywhere and incredibly, incredibly attractive people. Was that a pressure on you to be like, okay, I'm going on this show and everyone's going to be looking at me from all angles at all times of the day and night? Absolutely. That was – so my two main things that I freaked out about was, as I said, the career. Like, am I giving up my career here? And the other thing was I'm not going to be able to live up to who they somehow think I am. Like, why – have they picked me? I don't look like a bachelor. I don't look like the girls that go on The Bachelor. I don't wear bikinis in public. I don't look great in a bikini and that's what the whole thing of The Bachelor is. And, in fact, I i mean, luckily my season was filmed in winter, but I was in bathers twice and I wore one piece because I was like, oh, yeah, there is no fucking way I'm wearing a bikini on national imagine? TV. It's terrifying. Absolutely. But even that was odd people are like oh that's weird she's wearing one pieces exclusively on tv but then that was kind of a thing in itself that people said was good they're like that's awesome you don't feel like you have to flaunt around in your bikini the whole time just to kind of you know be desirable because mm. i'm not desirable in a bikini <laughs> i find that absolutely unbelievable for one but secondly i'm interested in the process of actually being picked did you think you were being trolled when somebody called you yes. what's that like yeah i literally just got a call out of the blue um when i was at work one day in was working in tassie at the time they were doing a casting call and all i know still to this date is that they kind of the people on their books somehow, they do this big shout out for them. They say, this is the kind of person we're looking for. And that year they'd said they want someone that's kind of known in their community, like kind of a community person that that does a lot, maybe some charity work, you know, that's a normal person with a career. And they just put out this call out. And all I know is that a nurse in Tasmania gave my name. What? And so they called me and I wrote down the girl's name and I Googled her afterwards because like, well, this is obviously a joke. I'm like, oh no, she is a casting person from Warner Brothers. So I just kind of went along with it because I thought it would be a funny story to tell about the time that I totally. was applying for The Bachelorette. Which I feel like how it starts for everyone. When we spoke to Laura Byrne from Maddie J's season after yours, she said the same, that she went along with it because she's like, oh, whatever, just like a good life experience. Nothing to lose. Nothing to lose, may exactly. as well. Like- yeah, I think um, for me, because I genuinely was approached out of nowhere, it was very much a, well, if this opportunity has come to me, then that's got to be for some reason. I'm, there we go, spiritual again, <laughs> enough to think, to believe in that. I'm very much, and I hate thinking what if. I absolutely hate it's my worst thing in the world. I'd prefer to have a regret than think what if because at least I know. That said, terrible show to go on if you hate thinking what if because you literally have to make a choice between two people. (laughs) Terrible show for that. You did say just before that you choose not to wear bikinis and it's funny because we actually loved a piece that you wrote for women.com.au recently. I'll read out the quote to you. It's a little bit of a long one, but I really like this and I want you to talk to it for a little bit. I was photographed on a beach without my knowledge wearing a bikini. I found out about it when this photo was plastered on the front page of a tabloid magazine next to a bevy of beauties absolutely rocking their bikinis. The caption alongside my photo was a quote I'd given months earlier, obviously unrelated to this picture, saying I'm happy with how I look. The inference was that I should not be. Since that day, I have only, and I mean only, worn one-piece bathers in public or very high-waisted bikinis, even when I'm in my own backyard. All my normal bikinis went in the bin. That picture, alongside the 
caption made me feel horrendous. I'm a confident person, but for the first time in my life, I felt truly fat, horrible, and shamed. Not ashamed, but shamed. How is that, feeling that? Oh, horrendous. And to give even more background that I didn't give in that article, just because it kind of wasn't necessary, um, the photo that was taken had been taken on my birthday and it was published on my mum's birthday. It was our first birthday without my mum, like of her birthday, first time we celebrated without her and I woke up to that. Um, On mum's birthday, I woke up to that article and it was just horrendous. I was beside myself and I've got an incredibly thick skin I don't let articles or trolls or anything affect me I really don't I'm I'm quite good at that but this was horrendous it was such an invasion of my privacy first of all but also just the feeling I mean I would show you the magazine cover because I don't want to put it into context but I also don't because it's awful um it was a, a front page of all bachelorettes so people who'd been the bachelorette and um girls who'd been on the bachelor and they were all from photo shoots they'd done during their seasons so they were all people like freaking sophie monk for christ's sake in a gold bikini looking ridiculous and then all the girls from the bachelor who'd done photo shoots and then there was me with my wet curly hair after a bowl of pasta walking into the water with my white belly hanging out and i was in amongst all of them and it was just awful and I I I hate that I felt so bad about it but I I couldn't not but you're also human and the thing that gets to me is like if we treat women who are size 8 to 10 this way how do we treat bigger women that's exactly the point of my article that's why I wanted to write about it because yeah for those who don't know what I look like I am an 8 to 10 I'm you know I'm a small girl if anything I'm, I'm smaller than the average Australian woman and I was shamed like this and I felt awful about myself Imagine how the normal person feels, how the average Australian-sized woman feels or how a size six woman feels who doesn't like the way she looks, anything, anyone. If I felt like this, how many other people must feel like this as well? You said before that going in to The Bachelor with your prior knowledge of the media really helped you. Did you know how much this body shaming would be prevalent? Because I feel like with every Bachelorette, it's everywhere. Like I feel like almost with every influencer, particularly on the Daily Mail, the body shaming is almost at unprecedented levels mm. despite the backlash that comes. It just keeps ticking over. These articles keep popping up. Did you expect it to be as widespread as it was in you know tablets? What? I think that I did. I think that goes back to what I was saying before about when I was cast as Bachelorette, I thought, oh, I don't want to wear a bikini because I knew that. I knew that from what I'm, – I'm a massive Batchy fan. I've watched every season. I was obsessed with the show before I was on it. So I knew that – these girls got followed around. I knew that their bodies got commented on. I knew all of this. So, yeah, I did know it going in and that's something that terrified me. But, you know, I was had my head on my shoulders enough to go, well, I'll just wear a one-piece because I feel confident in them. And I'm happy with how I look. I met someone who loves me and likes how I look. That's all that matters at the end of the day. Yeah, you're going to have times where you feel shit and that article made me feel so shit. And admittedly, I... I haven't worn a a proper bikini since because it made me feel that bad but at the end of the day it only really matters how you feel it shouldn't matter who gives a fuck what anyone else thinks or Mm. says we all look different Mm. how do you feel about Australian paparazzi oh I hate the paparazzi Mm. you know what again it's something I knew about the show going in I knew that would be a part of it because I'd seen it in seasons before mine so I didn't really have too much of a problem it's kind of like okay I know some people hate what I do as a journalist some people hate that I turn up at things that they don't want me at 
Um, you know, if there's been, for instance, a fatal car accident, I know it's shitty that we turn up, but that's my job. So I had a bit of that feeling about paparazzi as well. Um, but when there were five paparazzi at my mum's funeral, that was the moment everything changed. It's like, that's, that's not necessary. My mum wasn't famous. I was on a reality TV show, for God's sake. You don't need to be at my mum's funeral. You don't need to be invading someone's privacy and grief that much. Look, sorry, Padre's no, just jumped no. up again now. I'm upset again. She's very cute. Yeah, that's when it all changed. And I hated that they were there. But what I hated more is when Daily Mail ran a story with my mum's casket as the header photo and they called her by the wrong name. It's so fucked up. Yeah. That makes sense. So as someone up. who has worked in the media as a journalist, there's so much resentment about the media. Some of it incredibly well intentioned and like correct resentment. Other stuff is a, like a little ill informed, in my opinion. Yeah. How do you sort of marry the two? Because I know we have conversations all the time about working in the media, working as a journalist, and hating certain parts of the industry. Mm. For you, it must have been completely heightened. Yeah, but I almost don't look at it as the industry as well. Like I just don't separate look, it? Yeah, Daily Mail is not my industry. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I'm very open about that. A lot of people are. I don't think there is a need or a place for proper tabloid, I won't even use the word journalism, like that. I think, you know, tabloid magazines, tabloid newspapers that talk about things, that, that discuss things are happening. Yeah, there's celebrity gossip and all that, but I don't think that doing an article on somebody's Instagram post is journalism and I don't think there's a need for that and I think that's pretty much all that Daily Mail is. They'll see a photo of someone and write an entire article of describing the photo or just rehashing someone's Instagram post and I just think that's crap. I just don't I, don't. I don't look at it. I mean, there are things that pop up that I see because I need to see because they're about me and people show me or, or tell me about it, but I certainly don't go on there and, and look at it. <laughs> How much did that tabloid, I don't want to say journalism, but do we have another word? That that tabloid stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, tabloid garbage? <laughs> <laughs> compound the grief that you were going through. Like, do you think it really made it a huge amount worse than what it was going to be or were you peaking regardless? Because a huge part of grief is anger and I'm sure yeah, that definitely yeah. tapped into the anger it side It was of probably things. a good way for me to take my anger out <laughs> yeah. on that. That particular, particular article when they um, about mum's funeral when they got her name wrong, um, I was so furious and so upset about that and bless Lee, we were got pretty much a week into our relationship and he actually contacted Daily Mail saying, I understand this is your job, I understand what you do, but please, for Christ's sake, write her name correctly and take down the motherfucking photo of her casket. That's just disgusting. And they did, to their credit. Well, to Lee's credit. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it did. I mean, I don't know whether it compounded the grief or not because I'll never know because, yeah, it it happened at the same time. Now that you have a profile you're in the media like I mean you did have a profile before you went on the show that's why you were on the show but even more so now that it's completely national what does your career look like on a day-to-day basis now and are you is this exactly what you wanted out of it oh god I don't know how to answer that question because every day is completely different um I what I do the most is news channel 10 news which is what I was doing before I'm I'm a journo first and foremost I love 
uh, television news and that's what I'm I'm still doing now. But I also do bits and pieces of presenting the weather. I'm doing that at the moment. I'm filling in for Mike Larkin, which are big shoes to fill with his dad jokes. <laughs> Anyone in Melbourne will know. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> and I do little bits and pieces of, of radio and of writing and, you know, content creation and, and all of that. So I don't know really how to answer the what does my day my career look like. Um, but I'm really happy with everything I'm doing too. I think I'm in this really great position of being able to get to do all of that. And I know that won't last forever. So I'm just trying to enjoy it while it lasts. I think any day someone's going to realise I've got a really good gig going on and like try to take it away from me. So. <laughs> Especially I feel like the women.com.au column. I feel like that's such a good space for you as well. And one that I'm definitely enjoying as a reader to see you get into that writing sphere more. Was that something that you were doing before The Bachelorette or was that something that has kind of come along more recently, the writing columnist aspect? Um, the having strong opinions has always been me. We've but... seen your Twitter feed and we love it, yes. <laughs> but writing about them. Um, no, that is something I've, I've started doing more recently. I've always enjoyed writing just for myself. You know, I'll kind of, you know, just, just write things when I'm feeling about them. Um, and I've, I've really, really enjoyed being a contributor for women because it's giving me an outlet to do that and a reason to do that. And I've had really great feedback from everything I've done from them so far, which has been a thrill for me. Uh, so I'm really enjoying that. So thank you for saying you're enjoying it too. No, it's I really, really good. It. Like I actually recommend if you guys are listening to this right now to go check it out because there are some really fascinating columns. Is it hard to come up with ideas for them? It can be, yes, but then other times they just come very um, normally. Like you were saying, the pizza did about the bikinis. That came up because I had a friend's wedding in Bali and I freaked out because I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to be in front of a whole bunch of people and taking photos and everyone's going to be in bathers the whole time. So that sparked the thought of that. It's usually, I think most of the things I've written so far have been sparked by conversations I've had that have made me go, actually, hang on, I think other people will think this as well, will Mm -hmm. find this interesting. Yeah, I think it, it, it's the harder part is more if I think of something that's really topical on the spot and I go, oh, shit, I've got to find time to write this now. <laughs> Story of our lives, actually. Like the, the thing is current, we needed to push it out now. What does success look like to you with all of those things in mind? Is it something that's to do with your career? Is it something to do with your relationship, your family? Like what is it to you? Oh, that's a really hard question because I think there's so many different facets of success and everyone's got a different measure of that. I think and this sounds so wanky and cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason. (laughs) I think success is just waking up and feeling excited about what you get to do that day. Feeling, going to bed, feeling happy about what you've done that day. Um, And, you know, that's always different for me, whether that's waking up and going, you know, oh, great, get to present the weather tonight. I love doing that. Then that's a success for me. If that's, you know, I've got great feedback on this article I've just written. I'm so excited about that. That's that's success for me. Do you love living in Melbourne? You lived in Tassie for so long. How has it felt to be back here? Yeah, good. I love Melbourne. I adore Tassie so much. Lee always laughs at me because if I meet someone from Tassie, I go, oh my God, I'm from Tassie too. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, like an affluent suburb in Melbourne. You had a wonderful upbringing. Why are you trying to ignore that? And I just adore Tassie so much. It has a huge chunk of my heart. So I really, really miss it there. But I love Melbourne. This is where, um, you know, it's where all my family are it's where my friends are too even my best friends from Tassie half of them are in Melbourne now too um but yeah well Tassie always have a massive piece of my heart what's the magic of Tassie for you oh um I think it's just it's beauty is a huge part of it Hobart is just 
I honestly think, and I'm very well traveled. Hobart's one of the most beautiful cities in the whole world. Um, and I've so never much been. in Tasmania. Really have you seen? I've never so been. I haven't been since I was a kid. Like, I really desperately do want to go Oh, but back. it's so boring as a kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to go back. like a wholesome, like, adult trip to Tasmania. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a, like a couple's retreat to Tasmania. I'll come with you. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Just third wheeling. You're <laughs> off. Um, and it's, the people are the nicest in the whole world. Um, you know, everything's close and not in a boring way, just in a way that it's great. If you sleep in, you can still get to work on time because it's a five-minute drive away. You can just kind of walk everywhere. You've got beautiful scenery and just the best food and wine. Um, yeah, Tassie Tourism, if you're listening, I'm available. I do this for free anyway. So. That's what I mean. That's why they're not going to hire you now. They know they I get the free, free publicity. <laughs> um, when we're talking about The Bachelor, just very quickly going back, I know we're going back and forth a bit, but I think that's my head. So yeah. that's fine. <laughs> so just like going around in circles. Welcome to our brain. But one thing that must be hard, particularly looking forward to the future, is how much focus there are on bachelor couples and mm. where they're going to take their relationship. Yeah. And that someone might be getting married or someone might be having a baby and there might be sort of external pressure with that. Do you let it in? How do you navigate that? What's that like? It must be weird, people comparing the stages of a relationship that you're all at. It's very weird. And I think the weirdest in particular is people comparing me and Lee to Maddie and Laura. Mm. That's weird because Maddie was on my season and they met, you know, almost a full year after us and they've had so many more milestones than us. They've got a baby, they're engaged and Lee and I are like, um, like he likes my cat finally. <laughs> Like, you really can't argue with a baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No exactly. A baby. Um, so I find that weird when, when that's compared. But Lena is so happy with where we are. And we're not um, – neither of us are people, and particularly as a couple, we're not the people that kind of feel like we have to do anything for anyone else. Like, we've taken it really quite slow. And I think that's, again, back to the first year of our relationship being so hard with the grief and everything. Um, you know, we only moved in together a year ago. So – more than two years after we met, um, we wanted to do that because that's what we would do if we'd met in normal circumstances. We're both very much like that. Just because we met in this heightened, fast-tracked way doesn't mean that we will live like that because that was three months of our life. Now, we've now been together three years. Three months is a tiny blip of that time. Mm. So we're just taking it as we would if we were, you know, if we'd met out in a pub or on Tinder. You seem incredibly normal and I mean that in the best possible way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think. I was like, hey, fuck you, I don't want to be normal. No, but that's the best kind of so special. That's what we were talking about at the start. <laughs> I mean your relationship seems super normal. But it also comes down way. to security, like feeling exactly. that secure in a relationship that really that stuff is not a blip on exactly. your radar. Exactly. We know that we want to be together. We've been through so much. Mm. If we're still here and we're stronger than ever, like, you know, I'm, I am fine with where we're at. You can handle anything. Yeah, exactly. And it's and I, I find it actually really nice that people are so invested and the poor guy can't post a photo anymore without people being like, Engaged. when are you proposing? <laughs> or the ring emojis. Like he, I, it's easier for me because that's out of my hands, but the poor guy cannot do anything without being asked. But I'm okay with that as well because it means people are invested and that's a nice thing. Mm. You know, people aren't abusing us for not being engaged yet. They're excited for when it's going to happen and yeah. that's cool. That's something that's great about having met in a public way is that you've got all these supporters and these people who are 
excited for your milestones. And so many people come out of reality TV and whinge about that and go, oh, God, you know, I want to disassociate myself with having been on that. Like, no, like it for what it is. I think we're really lucky to have that in so many ways. It also means that people think that you're a right fit for each other, which must be nice too. Exactly. And that's something that's so weird about the show that we met on is that while it's on air, we're already together, mm-hmm. that people are watching it forgetting that it's not in real time. So I would have people saying to me things that they thought about Lee or things that they thought about Maddie or Cam or anyone, and it's super weird because I'm like, guys, it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> I can't turn back now. I know. So, yeah, that all stopped thick and fast after the finale, but it it, it is. You know, it's nice. And the weirdest comment I get and I get it regularly and still, is so many people go, I didn't think you were going to choose, Lee. I was so in Maddie J's boat, but I'm on board now. I'm like, oh. thanks. Like, I'm on board too. It doesn't me. matter if you are. <laughs> You're you? not part of this equation. <laughs> I picked the Lee thing from the start. Zara, Zara picked Lee from episode one. I have one, one skill in my life, and it is watching those introductions <laughs> and picking who's going to win. There we go. What it did you think Lee. about Honey Badger then? Um, oh yeah, what did you, I say? You didn't have anyone. I didn't have anyone. Out. Nothing. Yeah, I go. said to you, I'm not invested in anyone. You're I think you, I think you said Brit, but it was under great duress. Yes, that you it was said because it. I was forced to. Wow. Because what Bachelor season ends up without a winner? Oh That's for another time. Anyway, for me, it was so obvious that it was Lee. It was Less so about obvious. Zara. You know what's funny is watching it. Obviously, in hindsight, knowing what happened, watching it for the first half, I was like people are going to turn off. This is so boring because it's so obvious. Then they threw the spanner. All of a sudden, they just took Lee out of it. Like you would watch an episode and forget that Lee was even in the show because in reality, it was really obvious. They were like the the editors or whoever thought it's not going to be. So we'll just take him away. I'm tapping Michelle because she bans me from asking this question this morning because she's like, you said it's too soppy. But oh I know because I pretend I don't like love, but I actually very much love love. It's why I liked the earlier seasons and of we The both love The Bachelor so much. Lot, yeah. I don't like it anymore because there's no love. Um, or not as much love. Maybe this season. May, maybe. Astrophysicist. Yeah, oh my you're God, right. You're so, so right. hot. You're, gonna so ban- you're both banning shit. me from asking sorry, the question. Sorry, sorry, What point did you know that it was him? I look he was my very he was my favorite from day one and I genuinely mean that and the reason I know that for sure is because one of the um like girls who worked on it she wasn't a producer but she was they called her the minder which sounds terrible I need a minder (laughs) your babysitter (laughs) my babysitter my paid friend um she would just ask at random times to kind of to have me test myself final two right now who would it be and every single time I answered that, Lee was in it, but he was the only one that was always in it. The, oh. the second one always flipped and changed. So that's looking back, that's probably how I know he was always my favourite. Um, but then sitting down with his family was just the easiest, nicest, best date ever. And I just really felt like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to – I'll be back here, I think. This, this feels right. That's so nice. What is next for you guys as a couple, but also you individually? What's on the agenda for 2019? Oh, God, if only I knew. I never know what's on the agenda. I think that's why I've ended up in this place of doing random bits and pieces. Um, As a couple, we are going overseas one more time. This will literally be our third trip overseas this year, and that sounds so privileged. 
amazing. Our friends are super extra and keep having weddings overseas. Yeah. So we're like, oh, well, no we better go. <laughs> we're the next one. Um, we're go- this one's actually for Lee's dad's birthday. We're going to Bali. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, which is, yeah, we've been very privileged this year to go on so many holidays. But that's kind of the only big exciting thing we've got. Bali's um, exciting? The the yeah, it is. But then after that, we'll probably just, I don't know, I don't know. Do some normal stuff because you're yeah. so normal, remember? <laughs> oh, my God, shut up. You and your basic bitch question can't come at me for that. Exactly, not basic bitch. <laughs> Georgia, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for being one of our earlier supporters. I cannot believe it took us this long to tell you that. Oh. Um, and thank you for sort of chatting to us about things that are fun and things that, that aren't so fun and, and sort of like taking us through that ride. We, we so appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you guys being interested. As you said, I'm really normal, so it's <laughs> nice that someone thinks I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> Georgia, in conversation, Georgia Love is very normal. <laughs> That's really going to sell this episode, guys. <laughs> Thank you, Georgia. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless. For more from Georgia, you can find her on Instagram at Georgie A. Love. And as well, as always, we're at Shameless Podcast. We will see you guys on Monday. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.